love to invite the rest of you to grab a Bible, maybe one that you brought or one that's nearby you or one that your neighbor brought. Don't grab it from them, just share it with them. And turn to Philippians. And we are uh, continuing with our series on this little letter to the Philippians. Look at some introductory uh, matters and kind of set the context last week. And uh, a lot of you were able to participate in a growth group this week. And I heard some, some really good stories and reports from those groups and uh, really excited about that. If you haven't yet been able to become a part of one of those or get signed up and you'd still like to, you can talk with me or you can talk with Becky right here and we can still get you hooked up with a group. But lots of, uh, lots of great study. A lot of us had a chance just to read through the entire book together this week. And uh, what a special time. So today we want to jump right into uh, chapter 1 and, uh, and start, start digging away and digging into this great little letter from Paul to the Philippian church. Now, title of our series, as it suggests, this is a letter addressed not Go back, sorry. Not just to an individual, but to a church. To some people who together were trying to figure out what it means to live as the body of Christ. The people of God. And apparently they were having some issues. Perhaps struggling a little bit with some of this. For this one who had planted the church about ten years previous was now writing this letter to them, the Apostle Paul, with some instruction, with some encouragement that would help them as they sought to live out this life of faith together. They were facing challenges from the outside and some challenges from within as well. And as I've been thinking about this, the reality is that Nearly a couple of millennia later, we have still not become immune to some of these very same challenges. And uh, I believe that perhaps as you read it this week, or as we will continue to dive into it in weeks to come, we will recognize some of these challenges and recognize our need to together listen to the Word of God and respond to it humbly and with great obedience. So with that uh, behind us and before us, let's stand, can we? And listen to what the Word of God has to say to us together today. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And if you can, I thought about trying to act this out somehow, but I decided against it. But if you can, as I read, picture Paul. Short guy, beard, probably a little balding. Um, in a dark room with his apprentice, Timothy, probably most likely in this case, sitting next to a little light of some kind, writing as Paul paces in the room, dictating the introduction to this letter. Do you have the scene in your minds? All right. Actually, he's actually in a, probably chained to a guard as well. I forgot to mention that. So this is a, a cell of some kind. 
And so there's a Roman guard listening in on this as well. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. You've got the scene set in your mind. And it's clear from these opening words in this introduction that Paul wants to make some things very evident to these Philippian readers and to all those who would come after them in reading this letter. There are some very basic truths that he wants to communicate and, and establish right here from the beginning as fundamental to everything else that he will say in the verses to come, in the letter that is to follow. He is, in a sense, setting the mood kind of establishing or creating an atmosphere here in these opening remarks that will allow him to speak more readily into the lives of the Philippians and for them and for us to, to perhaps better hear what it is that he has to say. I remember the day when I proposed to my wife. There she is. I remember the day very vividly. And in anticipation of that, uh, that proposal, I, I had deliberately set the mood, right? I had, I had sort of uh, created an atmosphere that I hoped would facilitate a positive response. <laughs> and so we began with a, a kind of a morning breakfast, and we, went to, we were in San Diego, and we began with a nice breakfast at a, at a little 
not very expensive restaurant that, that we had gone to often. And we followed that up by driving around the city to some of the various places that we had been on dates together and spent time together over those years of our dating uh, relationship. And finally, we ended up on the shores of La Jolla. Very romantic, right? And this had been the place of our first date. And there we sat, and very significant moment that, that, uh, that we were experiencing. And again, I was hoping that by this point she was ready to hear what I was getting ready to say. And I needed to remind Kyla through this whole process of the fact that that I was actually a pretty good guy. And that we had actually had some, you know, some enjoyable times together. And that there was some substance to our relationship. And, and in doing so, bring her to the place where when I popped the question, she would uh, she'd respond in the, affirm, in the affirmative. And praise God. <laughs> Can we just say, aren't you glad that she said yes. So in a similar fashion, I think, what Paul is doing here with the Philippians and with us, with every one of his readers, is setting the tone, creating an atmosphere, wanting right up front to clarify some things with us, to define reality, to remind them of some truths, and to remind us of some very core and essential truths. Again, without a doubt, these fundamental truths are important for us to grab hold of. Not just as we begin a study of Philippians, but as we seek to live out a life that is pleasing to God. But as we prepare to hear the words that are yet to come in this letter, it's important that we are reminded and have reality once again perhaps defined for us here this morning. For Paul... Everything teaches. This entire letter is 104 verses long. There's no time to waste. And so, almost every word, for sure every sentence, every verse, is loaded with significance and meaning. He, he's not here to waste a word. And it's important that we catch on to it. And so here he goes. I was in my son's classroom this week for just a moment. He was, he was on stage. That means that he got to share about his life, show and tell. And so uh, we came to watch on stage. And, but when we got there, the teacher was teaching the whole class how to write a friendly letter. I don't remember learning the friendly letter, but that's what they were learning. And I thought, well, that is exactly what Paul is writing to the Philippians, a friendly letter. And yet, in his day, as I guess there is today, at least for second graders, there's a standard form for friendly letters. And the same was true in, in his day. But what Paul had done is he had taken the standard friendly letter and he had tweaked it. He had Christianized it, if you will. And in these opening words, he is subtly, yet very convincingly speaking to the Philippians and to all of us about the heart of what he wants to say and setting the tone for what's still to come. So a few themes emerge. One in particular 
that runs throughout this little section of Scripture that, that comes out nearly in every verse of this opening section is this idea that Paul is, is pronouncing here a celebration of Christian community. He wants them to know just how good it is to be a part of the body of Christ. And I referred to that earlier in the service, just to stop and, and be mindful for just a moment about how good it is to be a part of the body of Christ, a real celebration of Christian community. And, and right from the beginning, it's clear that they were struggling with this concept a little bit because right from the beginning, Paul begins to establish and again set that tone and proclaim the uniqueness and the significance of and the value of Christian community. Right from the start, Paul and Timothy, he writes. Look in your word. It's not on the screen. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, together with the overseers. It's interesting because in all of his other letters, Paul would begin by saying, I, Paul. Or I, Paul, a servant of Christ, along with Timothy. Or along with someone else. This is the only letter in which he begins with his name and another name right next to it. And it's as if he's wanting to say right from the start, Christian community is not about hierarchy. Christian community is not about superiority. It's not about authority. Christian community is about equality. It's about submission. It's about working together. It's about collaboration for the goodness and for the good of the kingdom of God. And in addressing the people in Philippi, he says to the saints, that's not just the Christian all-stars, that's the people of God, it really means. To the saints in Philippi, oh yeah, together with the overseers and the deacons. Again, I'm not just writing to the pastor. I'm not just writing to the board members. I'm writing to, and he says it here, and he says it three or four other times in just these opening verses, I'm writing to all of you. With my son, sometimes I'll say, you're my favorite. And then I'll turn to my daughter and I'll say, you're my favorite. And I can see the look of confusion arising on their face. Who is it? Who's your favorite? You're my favorites. And that's what Paul is saying. Us together, I, Paul, and Timothy, we together are writing to you, not choosing any favorites, not trying to just write to the important people. You are our favorite. And this is the value of Christian community right from the start. I know one church that demonstrated this very thing by taking a traditional um, kind of flow chart or... Uh, what do you call it, leadership structure, and inverting it so that actually the senior pastor was on paper at, at the very bottom of this structure. And above him were the church board members, and above them were the attenders, and above them, and, and so on, until the visitors and the people not even a part of the church were the, the, the real leaders in this structure. So that it was very visible to them to recognize that in Christian community, it's not about level of importance, it's about level of service. How we serve and live together. Paul wants to remind them of this very clearly. He also very clearly draws us to the attention of the importance of Christian community when he writes in, uh, 
well, when he highlights the relationship that he has had with these Philippians over the years. Look, look at verses 4 and 5. I think this will be on the screen for you. I remind you of this. In all my prayers, read this with me. In all my prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. Your partnership in the Gospel. They have been partners in this process from the first day that they came to know of Jesus. From ten years previous to this point when, they, when Paul came into the city and planted this church and others began to join along in this ministry and began to know Christ and live for Christ, they became partners with Paul in this process. He hadn't been there the whole time. He hadn't been with them the whole time. But still, he writes persuasively, passionately, about the connection that he sensed with these people. In part, as we will discover, it was because they had supported him financially. They'd sent him gifts, and most recently, a particular gift while he was in prison to support him and, and help him along in this time of, of great need for him. But undoubtedly, their sense of partnership went beyond just financial support to, to a sense of connectedness, a sense of teamwork, a sense of, of being together and united in purpose and, and ministry and work in the service of the gospel. It, it's an amazing thing to speak of and perhaps one that is a little bit harder to explain than it is to, to experience. And, and I hope, I pray that there are many of us here today who have experienced this level of partnership in the gospel at some point, in some way, with some person. <laughs> I, I, I celebrate the partnership in the gospel that I have with Pastor Jake. And... Uh, few weeks ago at our Labor Day picnic, uh, we were playing together, you know, and, and uh, Talara was there, and we, we walked off with our soccer cleats to go play soccer, and Kyla told me that Talara was like, oh, they're so cute, there they go, off to play soccer. <laughs> you know, and it's, whatever, that's cute, it is. And you know what, Jake and I have a fun time, we really do, just hanging out and laughing and talking about all kinds of stuff, and play a lot of basketball together, and we have a great time. But we have a partnership in the gospel. And, and I have that with Danny, Pastor Danny, and I have that with so many of you, our board members and others, that we've walked this journey together, and we're in the midst of walking this journey together. And you have it with others, maybe your small group leader or, or someone that you're in a, a class with or someone that you just meet with for lunch or for coffee regularly, and there's a, there's a sense in which... We're arm in arm, brother. And I've got, I've got this, this clear confidence that wherever I go, you go. And there's something that is binding us together that goes beyond just the weather, you know, or, or, or the news, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and what's amazing is I went to Costa Rica, and I didn't know anybody there, and I found partners in the gospel. I went to Ethiopia. And I found partners in the gospel. And undoubtedly, these gals will go to Sri Lanka and find partners in the gospel that, that don't even speak the same language. But it's this beautiful Christian community that ties us together. It's because it's so important. 
not only for the Philippians, it's so important for us to get this as a fundamental to who we are, that we listen to Paul's words here in this passage. Along with it and closely connected comes another theme, and this one is simply this idea that Paul is putting forward the, the promise of God's faithfulness. If there is to be genuine Christian community, then it will be because there has been a demonstration, a, a promise of the faithfulness of God. It, it will be because God is, is at the center and is bringing about His good purposes in the lives of those individuals and then in the lives in the life of that community. He wants to make it crystal clear right here from the beginning that the tie that binds them together in vital Christian community and the only hope that they have for future growth together and individually in maturity is the promise of God's faithfulness and the hope that he will provide for them. We are servants, did you hear what he said, of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to the saints in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's just the first two verses, my friends. Who do you think is the center of this? Who do you think takes priority in Paul's heart and Paul's mind as he writes to the people here and as he writes to us? Look at verse 6. It's perhaps one of the most famous verses in all of Philippians. If you haven't memorized much scripture lately or ever in your life and you'd like to start somewhere, can I recommend Philippians 1 verse 6? Read it with me. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Perhaps you've heard it in other translations. You don't have to memorize it in the NIV. But let this word begin to dwell deeply and richly within you. It is God who has begun the work of salvation in each and every one of us who have turned to him in faith. At the same time, it is God who has begun the work of uniting diverse, disparate, different kinds of people into a community of believers that he can bless and that he can use. God is the one who started it. And Paul declares that God is the one who will finish it. The pennant races are heating up for the baseball fans among us. Baseball has become more and more a specialized sport. In fact, I believe it's after September, they expand the rosters from like 25 to like 40 players. And the whole point of that is that they're getting pretty tired by this point in the season. And they feel like they need to be able to specialize even more as they head down the stretch. And so we have guys who hit home runs, guys who hit singles. We have guys who don't hit at all, so they play defense. We have guys that don't hit or play defense, so they run. We have pinch hitters, pinch runners, whatever you want in baseball. 
But where you see it the most in baseball, not only down the stretch, but more and more throughout uh, the season these days, is among the pitchers. We have starting pitchers. We have middle relievers. We have late relievers. And we have, anybody know what the last one's called? The closer. The closer comes in and seals the deal. Special, you know, specialty positions. Here's the beauty about our God. He does it all. (laughs) There's not one who starts it and another one who comes along and helps us, and then another one who brings it on home at the end. It is the one God, the same God, who is there in the, who was there in the very beginning, who is there in our beginning, who is in the beginning of uniting us together, and who carries us all the way along, and who will be there in the end to bring it to completion in the way that He sees. He's the starter, and he's the closer. This means a few things. There is nothing that surprises God. There is nothing that catches God off guard. I've said this before, but there is no time ever when God looks upon your life and says, oh, Didn't see that one coming. He knows. He was there in the beginning. He'll be there in the end. He's there right now. Is there something that is going on in your life right now that you just need to say, God, you know it. You know it. You're there in the beginning. You'll be there in the end. I just just want to say, I, I just want to admit and declare, you know it. God, you're the the starter, you're the closer. Be the one who is sustaining me even now. When we're in doubt or when questioned or when we're afraid, we can hold on to this promise. God will be faithful. Paul wants us to know it right from the start. The promise of God's faithfulness. And then, this, this last idea that I want to jump on and then kind of flow out of is this, this idea that comes through here so clearly that, that as a part of this community and as a part of this promise of God's faithfulness, there is between Paul and the Philippian people a, an amazing expression of personal commitment. And you can't help but, but catch it as you listen to Paul's writing. In fact, I really wanted you to to envision the scene of Paul writing this letter because, I mean, as I read this over and over this week, this, this passage, and tried to picture that scene myself, I just, I just envisioned Paul actually with tears in his eyes thinking about these people. And, and I envisioned him actually, you know, I don't know about you, when I read this, I think, oh, just there it is. But I envisioned him even pausing in between some of these verses and thinking, God, How do I put what I'm feeling and what you're inspiring me to write into words? How, and, I, and, and so 
you know, maybe this probably took him longer than, you know, three minutes to, to write, as long as it takes us to read it. There, there was passion, uh, feeling, emotion, deep-seated feeling as a part of this writing. There was obviously a level of personal commitment. Out of our partnership, because of God's faithfulness, Paul is saying there is nothing that I want to see happen more than for you people to grow in Christ. There is no longing that I have in my life deeper than that for you and for your continued faith in Christ. There is no wish that I would have for you or for anybody than that you would experience the depths of personal relationship and interaction with other believers in the midst of genuine Christian community. Listen to what Paul says. Verse 8, I think, is what I have up there. Is that right? Yeah. Listen to this. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Leave that up for a second. You know what another translation for that is? God is my witness. Right? Have you heard people say that? With God is my witness. This is how much I long for you. With the affection of Christ Jesus. There might have been some there who thought that Paul really only cared about certain people in their community. Why would Paul need to assert you know, the, the testimony of God? But, but he does. Because he wants each and every one of them to know from the top to the bottom in terms of positioning within that community that, that he cares deeply for them. So much so, so much so, that he would write these words, that he would inter interact with them in relationship in, in this way. I don't know, again, if you have uh, uh, experienced this level of expression of commitment. I don't, I don't know how often it happens, honestly, in our lives today. But I want us to begin to think about what that might look like. Because here's the deal. For there to be this kind of, these kinds of expressions of personal commitment, there needs to be people who are willing to commit themselves to others in such a way. And there needs to be people who are willing to receive that sort of commitment as well. To be able to look around the room, or to look around your small group, to look around your, your very family, look around your circle of close friends, and to begin to look at them in a little bit of a different way. No longer just, you know, what can I get from you, or how can we get along here? And whether or not you ever say this out loud, but to look at them with a, a new lens, the lens of there's nothing I ultimately want more for you than for your growth and your maturity in Christ. Nothing I, I long for you with the affection of Christ. You know what Christ wants for you? A new life, growth in him, and that is exactly what I want for you as well. 
That is my prayer as your pastor. I look at you all through that lens. But it's not just from here. It's from there to each other. How do we look at each other and commit ourselves to one another in this way? I think of a quote I read from a pastor this summer as I was on our sabbatical reading this book about pastoral burnout. <laughs> Thankfully, I wasn't, wasn't describing me, but I uh, thought it would be good to read it before it happens, if, so it won't happen. But this guy said, um, I gave my life for these people, and I would gladly do it all over again. I read the first part of that, ver- or that quote, gave my life for these people, and you know what my first thought was? Bummer. <laughs> There's a whole lot of life to be lived. <laughs> you gave it for those people. And then I read the second part, and I was thoroughly convicted <laughs> and reminded that that's not just the call of a pastor, but that's the call of every believer. I gave my life for these people. I gave my life for this community. I gave my life for that small group, for that one guy. And I'd gladly do it all over again. Well, listen, it's out of, this, uh, out of this fundamental assessment of reality, this, uh, you know, this, this recognition of the value of, of a Christian community, this recognition of the faithfulness of God, and this declaration of personal commitment to one another that, that, that Paul just then in verse 9, he, he kind of erupts in prayer. He's kind of stating these facts, and then suddenly, verse 9, and this is my prayer. It's like, because Christian community is so important, because we know that God is a faithful God who will always be there, because I have lived my life for you, and I love you with the affection of Christ, because of these things, I can't help but pray for you. And it just, as I read that, I was reminded of how many times we say, well, I couldn't do anything else, you know, so I prayed. Or, you know, I, I just don't know as much I can do. I guess I'll pray. Or I thought about some of the folks who aren't able to do maybe what they used to do, and so I encourage them, well, just pray. And they're like, no, I can do more. And I'm like, no, 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 you cannot do more. Pray. I was reminded that this is the natural eruption when we are so blessed and when we recognize the depth of what God has done and is doing is to pray. Because what Paul prays for here is essentially a continuation of what he has already been doing in the lives of these Philippian believers and in our lives. He prays for a simple continuation. But now, because of what he has just said, he doesn't pray humbly or meekly or with reservation. How does he pray? He prays with confidence. And there's something about praying with confidence. Amen? He prays with this confidence. And essentially he says uh, a, a few things. He prays for, for I've boiled it down to, to three things. He prays for an ever-increasing love among these folks. An ever-increasing love. My, my family, we are not avid bike riders. We ride our bikes from time to time. And every time we get those bikes down off the hooks to ride, what do I have to do? Pump up the tires because there is leakage There is air leakage. And you know what happens in the Christian community? There is love leakage. Oh, we love each other, but it leaks. 
And so Paul prays here, because of all this stuff, I pray that your love would be abounding, it would be ever increasing, it would be growing, that your tires would pop and that love would spill out among you and to the world around you, an ever-increasing love. Praise for the ability for these folks to know what really matters. The big word is discernment. He says, I pray that your love would help you to be discerning. But the, what that really means is that he prays that these folks would know what really matters. He's talking to them together, remember? And to be Christian... There are some things that matter. And are you with me? There are some things that don't. And we, as church folks, have a tendency from time to time to major in the minors and to focus on what doesn't really matter and to lose sight of what really does matter. We'll run into it time and time again throughout this letter. Paul calling his beloved Philippians, and calling us back to what really matters. But it won't be Paul's persuasive speech or his uh, influence that will help them. It will be the love of God growing in their hearts, affecting and influencing every decision that they make and the way that they see situations that will help them to discern what really matters and what really doesn't. And then he prays, Ultimately, that our lives would reflect the character of Christ. He says it like this, that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Love going to the farmer's markets. Don't get to go to them much around here, but when we're on vacation in Idaho, there's a great farmer's market that we go to, and I don't even know a lot of times what it is that I'm getting. And I just kind of, you know, we get it, and let's try that. And we just put it in there, and, and we're just kind of gathering this bag full of fruit and vegetables and goodness, and, and we'll eat it, and it'll become a part of who we are. And this is just what Paul is saying. Drink deeply of Jesus. Live deeply into Jesus. Let the purity and blamelessness, the sincerity, the honesty, the openness of Jesus get deeply into who you are and reflect that to the world around you. Be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Not for their own glory, but for the glory of God. I'm, I'm fascinated Keep, keep your Bible open. I close mine, but keep your Bible. I, I'm fascinated by the things that we pray for each other about. Now, hear me. Don't jump to any conclusions quite yet, but I, I believe that it is perfectly appropriate, let me just say this right off the bat, to pray for anything and everything. I, my sense is in Scripture that Jesus is just saying, hey, you got a need, bring it to the Father, you know? God, we see examples of different things that people are praying about and different issues. So if you're, you know, if your pet is having a rough day, go ahead and pray about it, you know? And, and I'm trying not to make light of these things. If you're, if, if obviously, what are, we, what are the big three? What do we pray for? We pray for finances, 
valid, valid. Keep praying about our finances, not only yours, but everybody else's. Uh, we pray for our health, right? I mean, who among us is not sick in one way or another? We're, we're a bunch of dying people, and that's kind of rough to say it like that, but that's what's happening to us. And, and then we just, the general category is we just pray about our problems, right? And too, there's nothing wrong with praying about those things, but here's my admonition to us. Too often, that's all our prayer is. We pray for our money, we pray for our health, and we pray for our problems. And we say, amen, and we all go home. Peter, can you put that back up, the last one? What if we, how weird would it be if we got together in a little prayer meeting and instead of praying about money, health, or problems, we, we prayed for each other that the love of Christ would ever be increasing. That would be odd, wouldn't it? What if we, what if we, prayed for each other in a small group or in a circle, and we, we looked and called each other by, by name, and we said, man, I just pray for you that you would be able to know what really matters this week in God's eyes. What if instead of praying for our problems as much, perhaps, we added to it this prayer that amidst your problems, I pray that the character of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from the or the fruit that comes from the righteousness of Christ would be would be bearing in your life wouldn't it be strange and wouldn't it be beautiful let's stand together well, father this is our prayer i i i can't help but pray this prayer for these dear ones to me that that your love might abound a sense of discernment would be present the presence of Jesus would flow out of them but even more than me to them we to one another we pray this prayer. And we together have this prayer prayed for us. We're so thankful for this amazing gift of Christian community. We're so thankful that you're a God who is always faithful. We're so thankful for people who have committed themselves to us and those that we can commit ourselves to. So because of that, we move forward in the days to come and throughout this beautiful little letter of Scripture. May we seek again your best and your will and all that you have for us, both as individuals and together. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. And together we say, amen. Amen. Let's sing together.